Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast, Stream of Social Consciousness, with your host, Olivia Brown. And did you know that astronauts can vote from space? Wow, I'm sure that they have an easier experience than Black people voting in the South. But before it gets a little too spicy too soon, welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode. Uh, It's been a minute. I think this has been the longest break that I've ever taken. And a couple of things have happened um, in between the last episode and now. Your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast turned one. Stream of Social Consciousness celebrated its one-year anniversary on August 30th. And if you haven't listened to the very first episode, Is Real Hot Girl Gonna Ruin My Career? Go listen to that just for the vibes, just for the nostalgia. And More things have been happening just personally. Um, A lot of you may know that I am a graduate student and life is tough. Like if you have a student in your life right now, please just be very gentle with us because Zoom University is not as cute as you think it may be. And just in kind of like wanting to transition into school and get kind of situated with school. I've been taking a break from the stream, but we're back because it's spooky season. And the spookiest thing that I could think of this season is this election that's coming up in America on November 3rd, uh, the presidential election between our current incumbent Cheeto and our uh, Democratic grandpappy, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. So let's jump into the stream. I have some thoughts. I have some concerns. I have some fears, have some things I want y'all to do and take away from this episode. And I think that we have to talk about this election season. Uh, I think we need to talk about what our futures are going to look like under either presidency And I think we just need to prepare and get a little venting done. So without further ado, let's jump right in. You have now entered the stream and let me know what y'all think about the new transition music. Um, Like I mentioned in the last episode, Trey Songz, uh, who we used to have as our transition music has been caught up in a lot of allegations um, that frame him as an abuser, and we don't support that at the Olivia Brown Foundation, nor do we support it on this podcast. So let me know what you think about the new music. Honestly, the way that Offset behaves in his relationship, we maybe need to change it too, but let's rock for now. I want to start off by talking about the election cycle, the road to election, the debates, and all the mess and drama that has happened between debate one, and today, you know I love to tell y'all the date, today, Tuesday, November 3rd, election day in the United States. What I will not do was break down every single policy point, every single sentence and word that they said throughout the debate. We don't have time for that. If you want to know more about their policies and their specific plans, I'll have both candidates' um, information, their websites, linked at the bottom in the description. But I more so want to kind of analyze, break down, review, talk shit (laughs) about the election cycle thus far. 
So let's start by talking about the, the first debate. And actually, let's start by talking about the events that transpired before the first debate, namely our president's tax returns being released by the New York Times. And in this article, it was brought to the American people's attention that our president has paid $750, like 750, no commas, $750 in taxes in either 2017 or 2018. I will have the article link so you all can read it and know for sure. But what? (laughs) What? That doesn't even make any sense. That sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth. $750? Regardless of him being the president, Donald Trump is a billionaire and he paid $750 in his taxes. And in one of the later debates, he's like, you know, I prepaid my taxes. I'm like, now how now how the IRS lets you uh, put your taxes on layaway? That doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense. And this is the scene for our first debate. And right before the first debate, uh, Dom, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they also released their tax returns. And this is the setting. I, as a as a person, as a citizen, I'm already annoyed with this man, our current incumbent, because of his response to COVID. And now, what I already knew all along, because y'all don't know, but I know, I'm a psychic, I've been new. I've been new this man wasn't paying his taxes. I've been new, something fishy has been up. But I'm already annoyed coming into this, and this is released, and this is the stage. So we get to the debate, and... The debate itself is just very, actually, no, I want to talk more about this taxes thing because it's really bothering me. How is it that my family, that working families, that that other people's mamas and grandmas are paying more money than a billionaire that holds an office, the highest office in our country? What type of sense? And I, I don't want this to be a, oh, voter die, like type of episode, but If you were not moved to any action, if you're not moved to any action regarding this election off of that fact alone, I don't know what to tell you, but $750, that's ridiculous. And as much as he tried to cover it up, none of the excuses make any sense. And we will get into that a little bit later as we talk about the debate that I just mentioned where he was like, oh, I prepaid my taxes, which if you could prepay your taxes or if there's some type of afterpay for your taxes, somebody let me know because I may need to look into that. But it doesn't make any sense to me. And I just needed to get that little anger off because I don't understand. I don't understand how you can be this manipulative manipulative. I don't understand how you can be this incompetent, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. So let's talk about the debate, the very first debate that was held. And it was very messy, ridiculative, ridiculative. What? That's the word of the day, ridiculative. And that's the type of messiness that this debate has shown us. But it was messy. It was ridiculative. Jesus, why can't I say the word today? It was ridiculous and ridiculative and non-productive. And I feel like as someone who's very kind of rooted in my uh, understanding of the world, rooted in my politics, I know I'm not voting for Trump. And I know that I am at this point, just like everybody else, where I'm settling for Biden. So I 
knew this going into the debate, but I was thinking throughout this entire debate um, that if I were someone who genuinely needed to be persuaded or who genuinely needed to understand more about um, folks' policy, that if I wasn't someone who didn't actively seek this information, I wouldn't know what the hell was going on because that's how unproductive this debate was. You have these two 80-year-old men, and not to be uh, ages, but they are quite literally 80 years old, yelling at each other, telling each other to shut up, uh, going off on tangents about nothing and nothing only. And it was ridiculous. But honestly, I feel like this behavior, this chaos, this messiness was not only Donald Trump's strategy, but uh, all of it was to his benefit. I think that Joe Biden's uh, goal in all of these debates and throughout all of the election cycle is to convince centrists and to convince left-leaning uh, Republicans that he that they should vote for the, for him. And if he is unable to do that because he is consistently being interrupted, if he's consistently defending himself about something that doesn't matter, if he's continuously having to go back and answer one question and in in an answer about another question, which I hate, hate, hate when they do that in debates, by the way, use your time. And I'm sure this, this is all a little uh, retroactive now that the debate season and, and we're here on election day, but I hate when they do that in all of these debates. Use your time to discuss what the question asks. Don't come to another, don't come to the question about healthcare to talk about racial inequity because you didn't get to talk about it in the racial inequity, inequity section because you were too busy calling Trump's mama a bitch. Like I, I don't understand. I hate when they do that. And, and that was a lot of what this was. But I think all of that was to, was like I said, Donald Trump's strategy and to his benefit because Joe Biden needs to convince people and he can't convince people if he can't talk. And like I mentioned, I don't know if someone who is not actively seeking this information actually learned anything, but all I really learned from this first debate was that professionalism is a myth and that they, that because this was the most unprofessional, unbecoming presidential debate that I've seen in a very long time. And honestly, girls, friends out there, if this did not inspire you to just go apply for a job that you're wildly unqualified for and to not listen to anybody telling you about professionalism, then I don't know what will because this was so messy. And that was just the biggest takeaway is that this was messy. And honestly, though I say that Donald Trump, you know, this all is to his benefit. I don't have, I don't necessarily feel like he benefited. I feel like both of them lost. I feel like both of them didn't do anything um, worthwhile, like worth a vote. I don't, I don't feel like either of them performed well in this first debate because they were so busy trying to berate each other and, and get sound bites and do all of this and that without actually doing what the debate is for. The debate should not feel like the real housewives of the White House. That That's not what a debate is supposed to be for. You're supposed to come, if you're a presidential candidate, you're coming to the debate to argue your points. Tell me why you're supposed to, why, why should I vote for you? This should not be your mama a bitch and your son's a war criminal and your wife is ugly and your wife is ugly and everybody has COVID. This should not be what the debate should be about. And I am tired of Donald Trump's antics 
making us forget what, what things should actually be about and what things should actually be, what the presidential office actually means. Just because he's a messy ass bitch does not mean that everything needs to be messy. Even though personally, my personal humble opinion, I feel like the president uh, as a role is inherently like an evil kind of like catch 22 position, but that's a whole different thing. I want people to remember that these things are supposed to be serious. And when this man comes to serious things being unprofessional and messy and childish and, and, and unable to follow simple instructions, I remember the moderator continually telling uh, Trump, you know, your party, your campaign agreed to these rules. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah. But he's still like interrupting. And I, like I mentioned, I've never seen such an abuse of power, such incompetence. And like I said, if the $750 wasn't enough, then something along this election cycle should be enough for you to be moved to some type of action, whether it be voting, whether it be something else, you should be moved to some type of action because this first debate alone was the messiest thing I've ever witnessed in my life. Uh, what's the meme? of Nene Leaks, and she's like, this is the ghetto, no, Rihanna, there's a Rihanna meme, and she's like, this is the ghettoest shit I've ever seen in my life. That's how I feel about the first election. Now, moving on from the first election to the vice president, or the vice presidential debate, and the second election, between the end of the first debate, Donald Trump tweets that himself and his wife, Melania, have contracted COVID-19. Now, he tweeted this on October 2nd, went to the hospital for treatment, and was out of the hospital on October 5th, saying that he was uh, not contagious anymore. And I hate, that is so dangerous, that is so violent, that is so manipulative, because that, what he says, he's not contagious anymore, does not stand on any, like, medical expertise. All he told the American people is that, my doctor said, ah. And I feel, this goes back to what I was saying about um, us reminding ourselves that this position is not a reality TV show. This is a serious office that has serious consequences. In a world where information about COVID-19 is already um, being misunderstood and miscirculated, and people are going as far to say that you know, we're experiencing an epidemic of, of misinformation alongside COVID-19 being a pandemic. I feel like that was very dangerous for him to say because there's no medical evidence of what he said. There is no expertise. Nigga just been lying about COVID this entire time. And I honestly, I don't know, not to be too much of a conspiracy theorist, but I don't know what the angle is, I don't know if uh, Donald Trump contracting COVID has some type of angle, is some type of political move, is some type of something. Um, I was learning about the October uh, scare or something in like election seasons where in October there's some type of big news story that comes out that kind of shifts people's um, attention away from the election and onto this new big news story. And that's what Donald Trump contracting COVID feels like to me. Some type of October big moment 
to take away from the fact that there's a vice presidential debate that would happen a week after this messy debate. And there's a second presidential debate that's supposed to happen in two weeks. And honestly, I'm not a political analyst. I I don't know what Donald Trump actually had or didn't have, but I feel like given the poor performance of both candidates in the first debate, it would be in his best interest to do something, something, anything that takes the public's eye off of the fact that he performed well, he performed um, terribly in the debate and onto some new thing. And I feel like this is what that was. Now, like I said, I feel like his language, all of how he, all of how he's handled COVID in general has been negligent, mismanaged, misinformed. But in his like personal um, having COVID, I feel like it was especially dangerous for him to be saying the things that he was saying. And as kind of speculation about, you know, what the next debate between him and Joe Biden would look like, he's like, well, you know, I'm not taking a test and everything's fine. And Joe Biden's like, well, I'm not coming if you don't take a test. And there was a point where, you know, people, well, there was an option to do it online and stream. Donald Trump said no. But before we get into all of the uh, all of the specificities about the second debate, briefly, I would like to talk about the vice presidential debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence. Now, I know that Kamala Harris is not a superhero. I know that. I know that she is not a saint in any way. And when she was running for president, I had no intention of voting for her because of her history and track record. But what I can say and what I will say, and y'all can feel however you have to feel about this, but there is just something, as a Black woman, there is just something very powerful about seeing her, a Black woman, be on the largest stage of anything in our country, speaking the way that she spoke, handling her business, talking um, talking about herself, bragging on her resume, even though she has all of these skeletons in the closet, there is something for me, like, I don't feel like I see, I don't feel very represented by politicians at all. <laughs> I don't feel very represented by Congress. I don't feel very represented by Kamala Harris, if we're going to be transparent. But I don't feel like I ever get to see many examples of, of, people of black women specifically of black women being that girl like silk pressed face beat talking that shit I don't feel like I get to see that as often as I do so I was very appreciative of Kamala in that way and this is something I've been saying throughout the entire kind of election season even back to like the democratic debates that I I don't feel represented by her. I don't feel like she is my role model in any way. But there is some type of little light that comes in my eyes when I see her telling that man, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Yeah, I'm speaking. Thank you. It's disappointing, though. Um, this debate, just in content, was I feel like this is the actual debate. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are our presidential candidates for sure. But like, do they actually know what they what, what's going on? Are, are they actually uh, 
doing anything aside from being a face. I feel like the debate between Kamala Harris and Mike Pence was the actual debate that gave us the meat and potatoes to supplement the trash that we saw the week before and the mess that we would have seen the week after. So I feel like they were a little bit more um, well-spoken, cohesive, more serious, but there was that same theme of, of Mike Pence kind of interrupting and Kamala Harris was like, Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Yeah, it's the memes for me. <laughs> it's like, it's the way she's smiling. It's the way she's looking at him condescendingly. It's the way he's talking and lying. And she's just open mouth smiling. And like this the Goliath. And that was very funny to see. And I feel like her kind of moments of that were were the star of this debate. I mean, aside from the fly that was on Mike Pence's head, the fly agenda is winning. The fly agenda will rise. But I feel like her sound bites and her moments were the star of this debate. And I just feel like it's a little unfortunate that as she was being interrupted, um, she kept having to tell the moderator, he's interrupting me. I Can, can I at least finish my thought? Um, something about that is a little racist to me. Something about that is a little messy to me. But she was able to kind of hold her own. And I feel like if there was a winner in this debate, it would be her. Um, and not even just because of, you know, the viral moments. I feel like content-wise and um, in general, she kind of had a better performance. But it's just disappointing that she had to kind of like mask her frustration and mask her her reactions with smiles. That's a thing we talk about, you know, Black women and, and women in general a lot on this show. And... I feel like, or I know in my spirit that that is something that she was told to do in order to make her seem less aggressive and to come off, you know, non-threatening because that's that's a thing that we have to do. We have to smile through any bullshit that's thrown our way. And it was disappointing to kind of see that in the same way that it was inspiring to see her on fire and coming back and doing all of this. But um, like I said, a little racist to me. The moderator... Uh, in this debate kind of fell under fire, I believe, because she was having some type of gathering um, amongst other, amongst uh, women who were Trump supporters, I believe. If I could find an article on that, I'll put it in the description. But the vice presidential debate wasn't as explosive. So we move from their debate to the second, and we even call it a debate. It was not a debate. So like I was mentioning, the format of the second debate had to be played with because Donald Trump was refusing to do an online um, town hall. He was refusing to do, to take the test. He was refusing to cooperate. And I will say it again. I will say it every time uh, something relevant comes up. But if these things are not things that are forcing you to some type of action, if this type of negligence and impotence and ineptitude were to Kamala Harris, that was the word of the night in the second in the vice presidential debate, if this type of behavior does not move you to some type of action, I really don't know what to tell you because we're literally living in the middle of a pandemic that you, Donald Trump, are mismanaging in the present and you're refusing to take a test after you just had the the, the, the virus. <laughs> You're refusing to take a test. You're refusing to wear a mask. You're making it seem like Joe Biden is is, a, is is whatever you think he is because he's wearing a mask. What? <laughs> so I digress. But 
The second vice presidential debate ended up being two separate town halls. Joe Biden um, released his first, I believe. And then, of course, petty is, petty is as petty does. Donald Trump says that his is going to be on the same night at the same time, which was bothersome to me because why would you do that? Why are you not giving people a fair opportunity to judge you both? But like I mentioned, I, I've known from the beginning that I um, was not voting for Trump. So I tuned into Joe Biden just to see his um, performance. And honestly, a professor of mine, um, if you listen to the show, hello, welcome to the stream. But a professor of mine um, mentioned how, you know, he tries to do better about kind of paying attention to the messaging that comes from the other side and, and, and reading and watching information that he does not necessarily align with. Now, you know, that sounds good. Let me know. Like I mentioned, send me a message, send me a DM, whatever. Send me a voice message if you feel like this is a practice that you do and it is helpful. But personally, I don't know how I feel about that. And I don't know if that's helpful for me. Because one, I studied psychology, right? And one of the things that they teach you is that when you're arguing or when you have a very strong feeling about something, information about the other side is only going to make you feel stronger about your position. And this same professor mentioned to, to the class when we were having this conversation that he tries to watch this information from like Fox News or other kind of right-leaning news sources, but he always finds himself kind of saying, damn, are people really this stupid? Like people can really believe this shit? And that's why I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm like, I know where I stand and, you know, I don't want to, it is a confirmation bias in that, you know, I'm looking for more information to confirm what I know, but it's also just like, maybe if you're participating and like paying attention to the other side, it's a confirmation bias and confirming what you know about them as well. So that's kind of, I don't know. I, long story short, I did not watch um, Trump's town hall because I did not feel like I needed to. Um, but I I will find an article that kind of takes away the me, the main talking points from that. But I want to talk a little bit about Joe Biden's um, performance in his town hall. There is a political commentator that I watch every now and again, and they mentioned that Joe Biden's strength throughout the election cycle and, and in elections past has been his ability to connect with people one-on-one. -on -one. So it was perceived that he would do well in this type of format where people were asking him questions and uh, he, were, he was able to answer without all of the drama conflama from the other side. And watching... I can see that. I can see why they say that. I can definitely kind of agree that that is his his strong suit. You know, smiling white men, uh, they can, they they can be very charming. And for all my people who know me and went to undergrad with me and know me, there is a smiling white man at our undergrad who wooed us all. And we know exactly who he is. And I think about this, this dude from, from my undergrad, when I think about Joe Biden, in that he doesn't have uh, the best policies, if any, but he smiles and he's charming and he's not an asshole. So we eat it up. And that's what was happening in the Joe Biden um, 
town hall. Now, I was very impacted in this town hall when there was a young black man that came in and he was talking about how um, he has to, Joe Biden, I mean, has to uh, receive like a vote from young black voters or try to get the vote from young black voters who are split between voting from him and not voting at all. And Joe Biden's response to that, it seemed very organized. I feel like all of his responses seem very organized and, and kind of, I wouldn't go as far to say well thought out, but they seemed organized and kind of cohesive. But honestly, another part of this like episode, another goal that I had, I wanted to try to imagine a future in Joe Biden's presidency. And if you hear an alarm in the back, uh, remember, I live in New York, and yeah, you you you'll, you'll hear shit. Okay, don't don't. If you don't want to pay for my studio time, deal with me. Okay. So, anywho, I try to. I want to try to imagine a presidency or living under a Joe Biden presidency. And the question I keep coming back to is whether or not life will be so much different under Joe Biden's presidency. And I don't know. And honestly, I don't think so. And I feel like just in general about this election, I've been feeling a lot of anxiety. I don't know if y'all feel the same, but I've just been like, I feel like we're fucked <laughs> either way. And that either way, we're going to still be fighting for something. I don't feel like an election, I don't feel like a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for freedom, a vote for justice or liberation. I feel like it's a vote for survival. And I'm tired of being in elections where I'm choosing the quote unquote lesser between two evils. I don't want to choose for evil at all. And this is why I've been saying um, from like the live episode to now that I understand why people don't want to vote at all. I, w I understand not wanting to vote for, for a terrible man or another terrible man, but there's no but, <laughs> but I, I, I really do understand. And I, I struggle to think that a Joe Biden presidency would be that much different from where we are now. I struggle to, to imagine what that progress will look like. And maybe some of you can, can, can give me some context or give me your ideas, but I really, really, really do not know what that would look like. Because I, as a Black woman, as a young person, because, uh, you know, like, look, it's giving whippersnapper. You know, I don't know anything about being old, honey. She's young and, and poppy. So, you know, as a young Black person, as a Black woman, I really do not know if my future is secure under Joe Biden's presidency just because he's not Trump. And I feel like I'm, like I said, I'm tired of being in a position where I'm voting for someone or I'm doing something just because it's not Trump. I feel like Trump has desecrated the office and desecrated our understanding of what political processes and political um, political journeys should look like and, and what is owed to us and what we can hold these people accountable for. I feel like he's warped all of that up in the way that he's behaved in the last four years. And though he's done that, and though Joe Biden is not that, and he's not this, or at least out loud, child, I don't know if our lives are going to be significantly different. And even in hearing him, you know, talk to 
some of his answers, I'm always, whenever I watch debates, I'm always especially interested in hearing what people have to say about healthcare because that's what I study, but also what people have to say about race. Um, those are things that I always kind of pay special attention to. And listening to Joe Biden talk about um, talk about his uh, plans for racial justice and plans for racial equity, he mentioned a lot about, you know, building wealth and, and starting businesses and giving Black people the opportunity to build wealth. And it sounds good. It sounds like a cute talking point, but I'm tired of lip service. I'm tired of, of people who don't have a track record in the shit that they're selling us, make, trying to make me believe that they're going to actually see this shit through. And I really, really, really don't know, y'all. If anybody has any any burning thoughts, send them my way and I'll share them with the collective on the stream. But I don't feel like our lives are going to be that much different. And I don't feel like our fighting is going to stop. I don't feel like our liberation is is on the opposite side of a Joe Biden presidency. And though his performance in the town hall, I feel like was strong and substantial, I feel like it was a performance still. And maybe I'm a negative, maybe I'm being a pessimist, maybe I'm being a realist, but either way, I'm tired of, of the option being uh, Trump or not Trump. I'm tired of our value system being pushed further and further to the right, to, to so much so to a point where we don't even where a, a true kind of progressive candidate could not even survive because we're we're busy figuring out uh, the lesser of two evils when, like I said, I don't want to choose between evil at all. And like I mentioned, I will try to find um, an article or something that highlights the debate um, or the, the town hall from Trump's side. But I feel like um, it's very obvious that I am not a Republican, but I feel like a lot of times um, Donald Trump has succeeded in kind of like eliciting fear and like eliciting anger and, and, and using those tactics to move people to believe that everybody is crooked except for him. And it's funny, in one of my classes, we were talking about uh, rural health and like rural white Americans. And one of my classmates, shout out to Tuya, she's excellent young lady, but or excellent person. I don't know, I don't know how they identify, but excellent, excellent, excellent person. And they were mentioning that uh it's not necessarily that people that these people who are voting for Trump are um it's not that they care so much about like his policies negatively impacting him. They care that he's white and they 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 find solidarity in his whiteness more than his other bullshit that he has going on. And that's interesting to me. And that's something that I feel like if you are a person of color, if you're a black person, if you're a person from a marginalized group, then you kind of already, you were already hip to that. But I feel like for me, the way that Donald Trump is able to use fear and honestly weaponize whiteness and, and use whiteness and, and use his like status as a businessman to make it seem like, oh, I'm just like you, when you, he literally is not like any of us, it's always very interesting to me. And I wonder for those who are like, white and those who voted for Trump and and people who identify so closely with him, I wonder what their priorities are in this election. Because 
I feel like COVID alone, fuck the taxes, fuck the, be- the, the all the other behavior. COVID alone this year should make someone not want to vote for this man. And I'm tired of people saying like, oh, Joe Biden does not have a COVID response. We're living under a terrible COVID response. We're living under someone who would much rather 200,000 people be dead than admit his shortcomings than to create a plan. The nigga fired everybody who was supposed to handle the pandemic. And I wonder, and it's interesting because there's like a disparity that exists where, where like rural white Americans are experiencing like higher rates of COVID. So I wonder if that's something that they're taking into account. And it's just interesting to me, like how powerful like whiteness is. It's so interesting to me that like, instead of voting for shit that like matters, instead of realizing that we are not in class solidarity with these people, we, he is not in solidarity with us, Donald Trump, these fucking billionaires, these, these celebrities, which I need to talk about, uh, all of these people are not in solidarity with us. So I wonder what's important to them. And honestly, while we're on the topic of class solidarity, y'all know y'all don't make $400,000, right? Y'all know that Joe Biden's tax plan is not uh, directly affecting you. And it's interesting to me. I don't know if y'all follow uh, Asian doll. I don't, <laughs> child, I don't know who that woman is. But she's like, oh, I think I'm going to have to vote for Trump because the taxes, he he's not um, raising taxes for the rich people. I'm just like, first of all, who even are you? But then there have been these celebrities that have come out of the woodwork, these black celebrities, mind you, Lil Wayne, Ice Cube. I feel like I'm missing somebody, but Lil Wayne and Ice Cube are the people that come directly to my mind are like, oh, well... I had a conversation with Trump and, you know, he's working so hard for the black people and no the fuck he's not. He's working hard for the people that are rich and y'all are the people that are rich. And I'm tired of people, I'm really tired of people acting like, you know, they are in class solidarity with billionaires that if you work hard enough that you, you too will be making $400,000 and that is something that you need to be worried so much about. No, baby. You are less, you are more likely to be homeless tomorrow than you are to be a billionaire ever. And it's just kind of like, it's interesting that the, the ways, the, the propaganda that we digest and, and all the things that we come in contact with. I've seen so many people who work at the post office <laughs> or work at wherever, and there's nothing wrong with working, not making $400,000, but that's rich people business. Rich rich people are not in poor people's business, but we always find ourselves like in rich people's business. And and I think that that has something to do with, you know, the idea that the American dream, if you just work hard enough and you pull yourself up from the bootstrap, I need y'all to live in the present. Sure. Sure. Maybe question mark. Sure. Maybe you could work hard enough and, and, and be a billionaire and, and all of that. But you don't, you're not doing that shit right now. You're not pulling that type of money right now. So I need y'all to vote, take actions for where you are right now, not for what you think that you can have or think that you should have because you are not a celebrity. And quite honestly, we've had this conversation about celebrities before on this show. They will not save us. They are not interested in us. They don't give a fuck about us. They're more concerned about these taxes and not and paying low taxes than they are about standing in solidarity with us about anything. And I'm tired of people acting like I'm tired of like black celebrities um, 
kind of falling into this because honestly, people will vote for this man because Lil Wayne is his, are they are their idol. People will vote for this man because Ice Cube told them to. People will vote for this man because Kanye West told them to. And you, whoever you are, you are not Kanye West. You do not have the same priorities or value or money or anything as Kanye West, Lil Wayne, or Ice Cube. And I'm tired of them being positioned as leaders in our community when all they are are famous. There's like the Malcolm X video that, that's been circulating about uh, Black celebrities and how they're used as pawns. And I'm just kind of like, the there are activists on the ground. There are people who you should actually listen to who cannot get a watch on a video, who cannot get any type of engagement from you. But they use these people so strategically. And honestly, it's a game, props to them, but these people are not our heroes. These people are not our saviors and they do not have our best interests at heart. And it's shown by their alliances with this man. He's terrible, your honor. <laughs> They're all terrible, your honor. And I just, it's just bothersome to me. And as much as I, you know, they have the platform, as much as I, you know, we want our celebrities using their platform, I want our celebrities to, uh, I want our celebrities to be just as well educated and well informed and and community based as I want everybody else to be. They're not exempt or because they are celebrities, and this is why I say they're not leaders to me. They're they're just famous people with a lot of money. They are more aligned with Donald Trump, and it shows. It's very obvious. It they're more aligned with Donald Trump than they are with you and I, and that's just on period. Like. I, it's disappointing, but honestly, am I surprised? No, 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 no. And this just goes back to, you know, putting your money where your morals are. It's going to be difficult because, you know, I love me some no ceilings. No ceilings really was a mixtape that changed it all for me. Love me some Friday movies, but I don't fuck with people who fuck with Trump. And that doesn't, I don't, I don't care if that's, you know, my favorite celebrity. I don't care if that's my auntie. I don't care if that's my anybody. And I think that we could be a lot better about who we look to for information, but also being a lot better about snatching our money away from these people because they, I cannot stress this enough, they're not working in our best interest. They're not using our dollars for our best interest. They're using your dollars to go play in your face with the president that you so vehemently hate. And it's crazy to me. And now that we're here at on election day, deciding our future and deciding our next president, I, like I mentioned, I don't know that our lives are going to be any different. And I know that we're going to be fighting still for what we've been fighting for forever. And I'm worried, honestly. I'm scared, honestly. I already said I'm anxious, I'm nervous, I don't know what's to come. And I, a friend of mine on the on the interwebs, uh, at Melissa Denizard on Instagram, she created a YouTube video kind of detailing ways that you can create a post-election day safety plan. And I will link that because I feel like, I don't know what's gonna happen, but something's going to happen. And this president has already said that He's not leaving the office. He said that it will not be a, a peaceful transfer of power. And that's scary already considering how, how 
embolden his supporters feel to to violence in general. So imagine he loses this election. He is in this violent, petulant position. Imagine what it's like on the ground. And it's scary. And I, I, I really want us all to be prepared. Um, in fact, that'll be my unsolicited advice for this episode. Be prepared. Be Keep your eyes open. Be prepared for whatever is to come from this election because I'm almost certain it'll be submissed. And 2020 has kicked our ass already. We cannot afford to, to have our asses kicked even further at the hands of this president or his supporters. So please be prepared. Please use the tips that Melissa mentions in her video and be vigilant. And to wrap us up, I don't know. I'm ending, I'm ending this election cycle. I'm ending this year. I'm ending this episode with a big question mark. <laughs> I don't know who's going to win this election. And I don't know if our lives are going to be any different depending on what the answer is. But I know that I would like to tell y'all, my good listener, my good listenership, that we are winning, period. Don't let the fear paralyze us. Don't let any of it stop us from making the progress that we've we've made throughout this year and throughout history thus far. This man and these men are just roadblocks to our liberation. They are not the answers to it. And I hope that we're able to, to keep winning, but I know that the fight will continue. So I am wishing you all a very safe election day. And I want to start ending... Uh, the episodes a little bit differently. You see, I already gave my unsolicited advice. I want to give, um, I want to start doing a tweet of the week because I don't know if y'all knew, but I, me, Olivia Brown, uh, that girl, I exist on Twitter. <laughs> I love Twitter. And you'll notice if you listen to like all of the episode, I mentioned something that was going on on Twitter. So I'm going to start shouting folks out from Twitter, shouting things that I've seen out on Twitter at the end of the episodes. Um, so this tweet of the week comes from at the tattooed prof. And it is a quoted tweet. So the original tweet says um, it's a picture of two stick figures one is supposed to be a man who represents a Republican. The other is a woman in blue who represents a Democrat. And the picture says, this is Bob. He votes Republican. This is Bob's friend, Sally. Sally votes Democrat. Bob and Sally are still friends because Bob and Sally are both adults. Be like Bob and Sally. Now, our tweet of the week from at the tattooed prof says, Bob and Sally are both white. So their rituals of civility are more important than other people's rights. And... He better say that. Honestly, I know Black women are going to come through. I know that many of people are going to come through. But we can't forget that a large majority of white women, a large majority of white people voted for Trump in 2016. Now, I don't know what my white listenership looks like, but I know that my friends on this show, that my listeners of this show have white friends, have white coworkers, have all of this. Hold those folks accountable. They wanted to be your ally in June. Don't forget that. Don't forget that at all. And if you're white and you listen to this show, you wanted to be my ally in June. Don't forget that on election day, on this day. Don't forget that when you go home for Thanksgiving and your auntie is like, well, I voted for Trump. Blah, 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 blah. 
don't just sit there and don't forget that. Do not let your rituals of civility be more important than other people's rights. And with that, folks, thank you for listening to another episode of Stream of Social Consciousness. Keep up with the podcast on at Stream the Stream on both Instagram and Twitter. Follow me, your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast host, Olivia Brown. Um, Go to my website, oliviajbrown.com, and all of my socials are linked there. Be safe, be vigilant, and stay blessed, y'all. It'll be crazy, but we can win.